Well, good morning. My name is Kyle Schmidt, and I have the honor of being here today uh, with you as your friend. Um, my family and I love you all as family, and I'm blessed to be preaching this morning. In 2013, I graduated with an MDiv from Covenant Seminary, and at that graduation, there was a great man of God who uh, preached the message, and his name was Thurman Williams. This is someone my dad still, this message my dad refers to still when we talk. And uh, he, he came down ill this weekend, um, so unfortunately he couldn't be here, but he told me he was really disappointed about not being here um, to preach with and to be here with you all. So um, it is an honor. He was going to be preaching from Psalm 13, and I'm going to be looking at a different text that's kind of related. Um, it's a reason to lament the trial and death of Stephen. And in, in Psalm 13, we hear that, how long, O Lord? And that must have been what the disciples around Stephen were thinking at that time. So it's, a, it's appropriate that we heard that as well. Um, but will you pray with me? I pray that uh, the Lord will have something for us to hear this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us again today. Encourage us to take hold of your wonderful beauty in this world and to personally receive your kindness in our lives. We've heard it said that your power is made perfect in our weakness, and so I pray that you would be with me now as I share these words from Scripture about your servant Stephen, um, who, who sacrificed and who also prayed for his enemies um, when he was being martyred. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit to go out and have hope in the midst of our lives today. Be with me as I preach the word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we will be uh, leaving our sermon series on John just for this week. I'll be looking at Acts chapter 6, if you want to open your Bibles there. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. And we're going to read down through 15, and then a little bit of chapter 7. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said to said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared 
to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then we're gonna skip down to verse 44 of chapter seven. Um, skipping over a lot of Stephen's speech, I'll summarize it in just a minute for us. It says in 44, he picks up referring to this charge about the temple and he says, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him Yet the Most High does not dwell in the houses made by hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who, have, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his ex execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. So. So you may be asking, how can this text encourage us today? We've heard already in the service about the themes of lament and praise and how there's both joy and sorrow um, right here in this room and in our own lives all the time. And this text is really an example of, of Christ giving us the spirit we see that in Stephen. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Stephen is an example because he points to the sacrifice of Christ and his prayer for us. So first, we're going to see that Christ gives the Holy Spirit. He gives gifts of grace to embolden Stephen in his trial in the same way he does that for us as we face trials in life. And then secondly, Stephen, Stephen's speech um, shows that Jesus 
is truly the righteous one. He is the son of man as prophesied in Daniel. And he fulfills the temple's purposes. Because of that, he's not bound by space and time, but he is everywhere. Wherever his people are scattered, and he is with us now, just as he promised in Matthew, uh, at the end of Matthew, his gospel. And then third, we're going to see from Stephen's death that it, it signals the movement of God's mission to the Gentiles. Through his death, it planted seeds for empowered gospel transformation of the church and this early church movement and growth. And we can remember that God is the one who gives the growth, just as, as Paul writes in his letter to Corinthians when they were divided over who was the most powerful or influential of the, the pastors and evangelists. And so first we see Christ blessed Stephen with this promised Holy Spirit, and this emboldened him in his trial. We've been hearing the last few weeks from the Gospel of John this promise that Jesus gives in his last discourse that they will be persecuted just as he was, he will be, and that the Holy Spirit will be the helper that he sends and the comforter that, that Christ sends. And so this sermon text kind of fits as a good example of the fulfillment of Christ's promise right away um, in the early church. And Stephen surely knew the teaching of Jesus. He, he was a proselyte, he was Greek. Um, he was just newly appointed as a deacon. Um, but through his speech that we kind of skipped over, um, we see that he was well, well in tune with the story of God's people. He had been catechized or taught the story and he, and he was well aware of the pattern of both trial and persecution um, of God's leaders through the Old Testament, first with Abraham and with Jacob and Joseph and Moses, his trials in the wilderness and how the people rejected him. And then we see with the prophets that um, their forefathers killed the prophets because they spoke of the righteous one who was to come. And then finally, Stephen turns the, the argument against his accusers and says they're guilty of the same thing. They've done this to Christ. And so Stephen was, was filled with, on the one hand, empathy for his accusers, but he also had faith and the Holy Spirit to be able to um, turn it back on them and, and speak the truth in love um, to, to those people that were hostile to him, the, the religious leaders. And so let's look at this portrait of Stephen for a second in chapter 6, verse 8. It says that Stephen was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. In verse 10, it says they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. And finally, in verse 15, it says all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, where did this come from? It says Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was drawing people to Christ because of the beauty that, that they saw in him. One thing about this Holy Spirit-filled life that Stephen was exemplifying was that it, it was a model of sacrificial living. He was showing 
um, people Christ and the, the love that Christ had for them. But as we see earlier in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2 and then again in 4, the church was living out the mission of God by um, meeting together, by studying the word, by praying, breaking bread together in their homes. And they also um, shared what they had. So they were living out a sacrificial lifestyle. Um, they shared their possessions and so that the poor would have enough food and have enough um, clothing and, and places to live. And so Stephen, it wasn't just his face that was drawing people to him or his, um, his powerful wisdom. It was a sacrificial life. Um, but we do see it was in word and deed, and he was able to speak the truth and, and confront these religious leaders that we also see were of the, the Greek party. Um, they were probably also Greek pro proselytes um, who were challenging him and, and saying that uh, they instigated charges against him. And the, the charges were very familiar to us because they're similar to what Jesus was charged with in his trial. Um, that he was going to change the customs of Moses and the temple. He was speaking against the temple. But um, he responds uh, He responds with, we'll see that a little bit later, but he responds with power saying that no, that Christ is the one who, who was foretold in the Old Testament. And that if he, if he is the son of God, then that changes everything and that they should put their faith in him too. So he opens up this invitation. But just to note, Stephen is nothing without the Holy Spirit changing his heart and his life. It was God in him that made, that made him give glory to him. In our New Testament reading today, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 12, Christ responded to Paul's request to remove his, thr his thorn in the flesh with the encouraging words, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Stephen's power was not earthly strength, it was heavenly, otherworldly. It was not self-generated, but it was granted to him for a purpose of serving others and pointing to Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice and advocate for us. So in response to the charges, Stephen is full of the spirit, but he has calm and peace and power. So what about us? How do I handle adversity? Well, one way to approach this question is with another question. And this may seem odd to, at this time to ask, but when was a time that you felt truly cared for? What happened? Our answer may show more about how we feel about others and about empathy and what we value, compassion, and the way we handle adversity, I think, is a lot, says a lot about the way we interact with others as well. And something that Stephen was able to show in his response, in his speech, he was able to connect to their story, what they knew, what they understood, and he was able to not just stay there in that place of the Old Testament customs and the temple, those were right and good for their time, but he said that they were pointed to something greater. He was able to connect them to the, the greater thing, which was Jesus Christ, the righteous one who came and who was seated on the throne. 
So this, this empathy that Stephen shows is something that we can learn as well um, as we connect our stories to one another, show gifts of the spirit of hospitality and love, charity, and kindness, just listening to one another, being there, but also having a word of truth to speak, not just sitting there and getting stuck in the, in the hole of despair, but also being able to help the, help the other person out of, of their, their rut with, with the truth. I think that's the pattern we see in Stephen. Of course, it didn't end well, well for him, but we see that his death um, points to Christ, points to Christ's death, and we know Christ is on his throne. He, he rose from the dead. So we see the pattern for the followers of Christ early on. That's the pattern that they would be put in prison and killed for the sake of Jesus. And here we do not right now face those extremes, but we do face temptations to fall away and to follow our own personal autonomy and freedom. This may be with your work or in your family. This may be just that life gets hard and we um, lose our sense of wonder at God's word or sense that there's nothing in there for me. But Jesus counters this by saying that he is the bread of life. He is the living water. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And he also says, take up your cross and follow me. Trials will come and when this happens, we need others with us in them. Trials in the Christian life does not mean that we've done something wrong, but we can grieve these broken things with hope because Jesus has come, died and been raised. So the second thing is the advocacy of Stephen points to the advocacy of Christ on his throne. He is on his throne, so we can take encouragement. In chapter 7, we find the whole of Stephen's recorded defense. He recounts the narrative of the Old Testament and then specifically addresses the charges. We see him addressing the temple in verse 44. It says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. This tabernacle will contain the witness, the stone tablets inscribed with God's law, and was a place of worship. In verse 48, it says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. The tabernacle and the temple were not intended to last forever, and both, both pointed to something greater that was to come. And, the, and this gets to Stephen's overall message. He has not denied their charges, but turns it around, stating, you are the blasphemous ones, he says. You put the incarnate Lord to death, just as their fathers and the prophets and leaders were rejected by God's people. God's people had rejected their Savior. And you see in verse 51, he uses language from Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Moses, <clears throat> calling them stiff-necked people and uncircumcised of heart and ears. And just as they had killed those who foretold the coming of Jesus, they also betrayed and murdered him when he came. So he meets their anger. They were enraged when he said this, but he meets their anger full of the Holy Spirit. And he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Here's in, in chapter 7 here we see in verse uh, 59 and 60 Stephen's prayer. 
He's full of faith. He looks into heaven and sees that he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, standing at the, in, on, in the throne room. He's with, he's with him during this. And that significance of him standing there is that he's not, he's not sitting, but he's standing in solidarity with Stephen. And I, th- I think we can draw from that that he, that's his position towards us right now is that he's interceding for us on our behalf. He's aware of our troubles um, when they come and the troubles of the church all over the world and he's standing praying for them. So the result of, of Stephen's death, I'm, we're going to come back to that in a second, um, was the great scattering of the Christians out of Jerusalem. And Dennis Johnson writes, in the Old Testament, such a scattering of the people was God's curse against rebellious people, excluding them from his presence and his land. But with the saving achievement of the Messiah, Jesus, Herod's temple had become obsolete. Exclusion from the edifice that dominated Zion was no longer exclusion from the courts of the Lord. For Jesus was the new temple as well as the final deliverer. The tongues of fire, miniature glory clouds resting on each disciple of Jesus at Pentecost sealed the presence of the spirit of glory and of God wherever believers might be scattered. The God who was with Abraham in Mesopotamia is with Joseph in Egypt and with Moses in Sinai. He goes with us, his scattered messengers. So we're we're to find inspiration and encouragement because Jesus is on his throne, he's praying for us, he's with us. He's not bound by the temple anymore. So how can this be the flourishing of the church, the death of Stephen? It doesn't look that way. They had great lamentation for Stephen. They buried him. He was no longer leading and doing miracles, signs, teaching. How can this be the flourishing of the church? Well, it's through Stephen's vision that he leaves. Stephen's vision. Standing at the right hand of God all along. He was with Stephen, just as he is with us. In Daniel 7, 13 through 14, if you want to look there, Daniel chapter 7, he prophesies about the one to come, the righteous one, the son of man. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is that son of man. He rules over all. And that means all peoples, nations, and languages. When the Jews heard this referred to, that Jesus was identified as the Son of Man, the Messiah, they responded much in the same way as they responded to Jesus in Matthew 26, 64, and Mark 14, 62. 
They were enraged and condemned him to death for further blasphemy. But we can draw encouragement from Stephen's death because it signals the movement of God's mission to the Gentiles. And we know because of his vision that Jesus was standing, he was his life. And we know that he would go and be with him and that he would be raised up on the last day. So in Acts 7, 59 through 60, we see recorded for us Stephen's final words, much like Christ. He knew where he was going and prayed for the Father to receive his spirit. Falling to his knees in verse 60, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen was imitating Christ, and with his death, herald, heralded by Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, we are seeing the history of God on the move. This set, of a, set off a chain of events leading to a great persecution and scattering of the disciples of Christ throughout the known world. It was this mar martyrdom that spread grace to millions of others and will establish the Gentile mission. So let us be encouraged. We have a savior who cares, who's standing on the throne, praying for us in our adversity, whatever that is. He's praying for grace and peace fellowship for each of us. He is with us throughout the week wherever we are scattered. He understands our weakness, our temptation, and he is strong and willing to be able to help in our time of need. So the church is blessed and flourishes even and in spite of trials and opposition. This is what Acts teaches, and so we must expect it. And we continue to tend our hearts through faith and repentance, relying on God's word and promises. Today we got an extra dose of God's word for scripture readings. So we are well informed of a large portion of scripture today. So I'm so thankful to be here every week where we can hear God's word read. And, um, but are we able to take it? And does it make any difference in our work week, in our lives as parents, as grandparents? as sisters and brothers? Does it change us when we face life-limiting diagnoses, when things don't go our way? What is there? We need the heavenly gifts that Stephen received. We need the reality and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We need Christ's presence with us in reality. Truth that stands the test of time, shared by Christians around the world, we need communion, the Lord's Supper, the Word of God and prayer, as rhythms of our lives. They are means of grace and they strengthen our hearts when suffering is at its worst. And they prepare us in the good times to stay watchful and to, to tend to our hearts, to our gardens. Uh, the weeds that grow up in our lives. Stephen spoke the truth in love. He was an example. He was an advocate for the church. He lived sacrificially. He showed what it meant that Christ had sacrificed his own self on the cross for the church. 
He had given himself and his body for us. And it gave Stephen the ability to speak boldly, filled with the Holy Spirit, calling out the leaders for their blindness and hardness of heart. They, they likely, the leaders were aware of his miracles, just as they were aware of Jesus' miracles before him. This didn't change their hearts. Uh, this just made them more mad. Um, they knew the story of scripture that, that Stephen had told them, and this conflict arose. So what do we do when we face this in life? Well, we're not Jesus, but we know that he is standing at the throne. He is praying for us, and he is able to save whoever. There is hope here because we see Saul was present at this death, at this persecution. He was the, the leader of it. And eventually Jesus confronted him. It, that's what it took on the road to Damascus. And he, the whole course of history was changed. The Gentile mission was truly began at that time. So Jesus is on his throne and he's in control and he can do what he wants. Our job is to live faithfully, to watch out for ourselves and to speak the truth and love to our neighbors. So the gifts of the Spirit, we know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We need them all for the church to flourish. And this takes prayer in the gift of God. So we are emboldened and humbled when we learn our story, our shared story, and see our own need for grace. When we have a desire to pray or read God's word again, or maybe for the first time. These are gifts of the Spirit working in us. I look around and think of, of you all, how you're working and ministering, and I pray that this can be um, in the future, even today, now through God's word, a lifeline for your work week. So may his word continue to go forth unhindered as in the, the very end of, of Acts, it says the word went forth unhindered and bearing much fruit. I'm going to end with a, a short story um, just about my work week. I met with my grieving friend the other day in his tomato garden. This has been a pretty good year for tomatoes, I think. Um, he just had experienced the death of his mother, and so he was grieving. Uh, and walking with others in general is not always simple, but he reminded me of something simple, and it was helpful to me. It was just the necessity of weeding this year. He said it was just a good year for tomatoes, and he really needed to weed his garden. He showed me the difference that it made, because there was one side that was bearing tons of fruit, and he had spent a lot of time working, weeding that area. And then this other side was completely just crazy and grown up and out of control, and hadn't bear, had, there was no tomatoes on that side. And so I, I took from that that there is a lesson to be learned here spiritually about our own lives, that we need to take time to, uh, to tend to our own souls and our hearts. And um, I took that from a word to myself, and now I bring it to you. And again, Paul writes that 
He planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. So we do have responsibility, but God is the one who gives the growth. And so may God grow us all in love and the Holy Spirit today. Amen. Thank you.